Morning, guys. Good to see you. I can't see you. <laughs> Seeing the camera, you can see me. Look, one day we're going to be back face-to-face, -face and I cannot wait. So I'm looking forward to that day. I need to see you guys, man. I need eye contact. Two eyeballs on this camera over here, but it's just not the same. They don't seem to appreciate anything I say. <laughs> so uh, anyway, love to see you guys again soon. Do look forward to seeing you tonight as... Um, several of you know, obviously we meet at 6.30 on Sunday nights. This is not church. This is me unpacking the word right now. Salt River Community Church, we gather together on Sunday nights at 6.30. We would love for you to come, especially if you're in the East Valley of Arizona. We're in Tempe. You can hit us up online, uh, social media, email, uh, our website, however you want to do it, and we'll tell you how to find us and come hang out. Uh, it's just super chill. We just hang out, eat, talk, have a good time, and then spend some time in serious prayer, focused prayer, and then uh, jump into the Word, into the same passage that we're fixing to unpack right now. So we'd love for you to come. Um, help us make disciples. That's what we do. That's who we are. Our whole identity as a church is in making disciples, being disciples who make disciples. So if you're a believer in Christ, guess what? That's your responsibility too. It's all of our responsibilities as believers in Christ to make disciples. So if um, if that's you, we would love for you to come and hang out. If you don't know what that means, if you don't know what that entails or what res that responsibility exactly looks like, then come and we will help you understand that for sure, I promise. So in the meantime, or for the moment, we are jumping into a series we've been going through, been having a great time with it, and that's Is God Among Us? So is God among us, not is he one of us, is he among us? Um, and today we're going to kind of focus on when the struggle is real. Is he among us when the struggle is real? The theme that we've been dealing with through this thing is from Revelation 21, verse 3, that says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they'll be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So let me read the text today. We're going to be in Genesis. We've been moving through, and we're just following this thread. Uh, we'll, we'll go, uh, not to cover every instance, obviously, in the Bible where God is among his people, but many of them, so we're going to work through. But today we're in... Genesis still, so we're in chapter 32, and I'm going to look at verse uh, 30 here. Let me just read it right quick. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Let me pray. Lord, I love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this text. It's so good, Lord. It's so encouraging to me. It means so much to me to see it, to read it, to understand it from your word. Lord, I pray that today that people would be moved by it just as you've moved me as I've read it. Um, God, help us take what you show us in your word. Let it change us and let it be something we make known to others for your glory because it's your word, not mine, um, not ours, yours. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, have you ever been in a situation where you're thinking, God, like, how can this be? I mean, how is this possible? How can you allow this, God? Have you be honest with yourself? Man, you ever thought that? You ever felt that way? Maybe uh, somebody who you love is sick, maybe terminally sick. Maybe they have cancer. Maybe something like that's going. Maybe maybe somebody you know who is very special to you died. Maybe it's somebody very young, 
And the word innocent pops out of your mouth. And God, how can you allow this to happen to this person? Um, maybe you've been in the mission field or you've been somewhere and you've seen extreme poverty and starvation and hurt and, and lostness in terms of spiritual, spiritually speaking. And, and, and that's a wrestle. Believe me, I've been there. And that's a wrestle. Like, I, I'm, I'm not God. I don't understand. You, you face this terrible situation, maybe. Whatever it is, you face this terrible situation and, and the struggle becomes all too real. Too real. And then you try to figure out, you know, okay, what's within my ability to do here? I've got to do something about this. Let me do something to fix this situation. But the best that you can do still seems hopeless, pointless. You have no idea if it's really making a difference at all. And maybe you're going to find in those situations that the real struggle is with God himself. The real struggle you might find is with God himself. And maybe God placed you in that situation uh, for the purpose of wrestling with him. Maybe he placed you in that situation for the purpose of wrestling with him. Why would he, why would he do that? Why would he do that? Because if you hold on to him, if you stay close to him, if you grapple with him and you don't let go, you're going to find that your faith actually gets much stronger, that he changes you, and you're going to realize that his word remains true just as it's always been. The hope that you find as a believer in his word is, is, is something you can tangibly hold on to. And oftentimes that's going to leave us with pain. It's going to leave us with hurt from having that encounter, that struggle with, with God. And maybe that, that hurt becomes a burden for other people. Maybe that wrestle and that hurt that comes from it becomes a burden for, for other people. So today, as we look at this text... We talked about Abraham before. Abraham's grandson, now Jacob, he faces one of his greatest fears here. And his struggle is going to turn him to prayer, which is good. But then he also tries to solve things himself, as he's always done before. But this time, God becomes the one that Jacob actually wrestles with. And it's God who reminds him that he, God, keeps his word. And he, God, can't change everything. All right. And if we look at, you know, if we look to God, I can say the same thing. If we look to God when our struggles are real, if we look to God when our struggles are real, we can expect that his presence is likely going to bring a wrestle and a struggle. But that wrestle, that struggle, his presence, it will remind us of his word and it will return our focus to faith on him in him. I can guarantee that. So is God among us when the struggle is real? And there's a solid outline here. I always like outlines. It's just easier to follow and to remember. So there's a solid one here that's showing how we tend to approach a struggle and how God typically, well, I wouldn't say typical, but it, frequently this is how this works, how we approach a struggle and how God responds. So here's what it kind of looks like, and we'll walk through it in the text. But you have the struggle, then you have the prayer, then you have the plan, then you've got the visit from God. Then you have the answer, okay? So before we jump into that, though, first the background here really quick. You have the promises of God to Abraham, which was, there were a few, but one, you know, some of them were to have a child, to have a great nation come from him, to have the land that was promised to him, the land of Canaan. Well, these went to his son Isaac, okay? And then from Isaac, they go to Jacob, but 
Jacob inherits, doesn't directly inherit them in a sense he steals them through deceit. Uh, but, but regardless of how he accesses that blessing from Isaac, his earthly father, God, any blessing from God is not something to be gained. No matter whether it's through deceit or honesty or anything, you don't gain that. Any blessing from God must be given. And it's not subject to your family history either. So the situation that Jacob runs into with God is a little different. So what had happened? Well, some of you may know the story. If you don't, you can read it in your own time. But Jacob is the younger brother of two twins. Jacob is the younger and at the time of the blessing of the family here, the inheritance to be handed out, Esau, the older brother, should have received it because he's older. But instead, through deceit, uh, Jacob goes in and deceives his father Isaac, claiming to be Esau. And Isaac is kind of old and going blind. So he uh, even asks Jacob, who are you? Because he senses something's wrong about this scenario. And he lies and he says he's Esau. Well, as a result of that, Esau is furious and plots to kill Jacob, his brother, when Isaac, his father, finally dies. Well, his mother, Rebecca, gets word of that and she ends up sending them away, or excuse me, sending Jacob away um, to save his life. All right, so skip forward about 20 years and we come to where we are now. Both brothers now have grown up. Both brothers have families. Both brothers have servants, riches, uh, animals, herds, all kinds of things. They're both huge. And now they are, in our text, about to meet again for the first time. Jacob is coming back home. All right. And along the way, Jacob sends messengers to find out what Esau's intentions are. So as he's returning, he knows he's going to have to deal with Esau. So he sends some messengers, and that's where we'll jump into the story. So the struggle here, the struggle, which basically for him is fear of harm and death. Look here. This is the struggle. Verse 6, chapter 32. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. The implication there is that we went to see what he's up to. And as soon as he realized who we were, he mounted up his horses and decided to leave with 400 men to come to you. Implication, there's an army and he's coming to get you. (laughs) Not good news, right? So verse 7, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Yeah, I guess so. He's terrified. So he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So he's facing the shadow of his past right here, Jacob is. He is facing the fear that he had basically run from for so long. And you can go back and read. Esau was, a, was in Dave language, a thug. He was a fighter, all right? He was a hunter. He, he was no joke. So he's been facing this. He, he's realizing that this darkness is really as dark as it feels right now. It's really every bit as scary as he was afraid it would be. The struggle has most definitely become real at this point. You ever been there? You ever been there when you think, eh, can't, how bad can it be? And then you test the waters and you realize it's exactly as bad as you thought it was. Or maybe it's worse. The dark is really every bit as dark as you were afraid it was going to be. That's where he's at, right? Um, and his attempt here to divide the camp as a solution, 
That would foreshadow years ahead when Jacob, whose name changed to, to Israel, when he, his people, Israel, become a divided nation as well in the north and south. And that's another story, but this foreshadows that. So you have the struggle, the, the fear of harm and death here. And then you have the prayer. Basically, the prayer here is, God, remember your word and save me. Okay? Excuse me. <coughs> Verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father and God of, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, that's the proper name, O Lord, who, who said to me, return to your country and your kindred that I may do you good. Basically, he's calling him God. God, O God, O God, O Lord. We might say Jesus, Jesus. You know, it's the same kind of thing. And he says, I'm not worthy of the least of all of the deeds of steadfast love. That word means grace. And all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant for with only my staff across the Jordan and now become two camps. Man, what a great prayer he's going with so far. Lord, Lord, I don't deserve your grace. I left this place with nothing and now you've blessed me with so much. I deserve none of your grace, none of your faithfulness. And then he says, only my staff, uh, verse 11, please deliver me. Please deliver me. From the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. I'm terrified of him. What a statement. Lord, please deliver me from him. I'm terrified of him. That he may come and attack me. The mothers with the children. Basically, he's saying women and children too here, God. It's not just about me. Women and children too. (laughs) Now he's starting to get a little sideways. He's almost attempting to pull God's heartstrings here. Well, if not for me, you know. uh, Verse 12. But you said, what a great Three words. Could you say that? Let me just pause a second. Could you say that? Could you say that to God? But God, you said, do you know his word enough to know, to be able to say, but God, you said, to claim his word to him? But you said, verse 12, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. So this is a super rare moment here in Genesis, in the beginning of the Bible, this May even be the first one, but this is a super rare moment where somebody actually prays to God. Uh, typically, God comes to them. That's what happened with Abraham. There are sacrifices, there are offerings and things like that. But this is a different kind of thing. Jacob's not approached by God. Jacob approaches God here. He, he, he goes, reaches out to God. He speaks from his heart. He's seeking and he's petitioning help. He's praying God's word back to him. And he's using father talk here, like family, like God's a part of the family, God of my fathers. It's like it's a family thing here. And he's reminding God of his promises to his grandfather and his father. And he's saying, you promised me too. Um, Your word in chapter 28 is where that happens. But he's saying your promises to me too. So Jacob's putting the responsibility on God here for keeping his word, you know. But God's not bound, this is important, but God's not bound to keep his word by whatever means that's most comfortable or plausible to Jacob. And I would say the same for us. We can pray his word to him, and I can guarantee you he will keep his word, but he's not bound to do that by whatever means seem most comfortable to us or most plausible to us. So if the story stopped here, it might be fine, but it but it doesn't, okay? 
look what happens. So you have the struggle, this fear of harm and death, and then the prayer. God, remember your words, save me, deliver me. And now you have the plan, which is basically beg and bribe for your life with your own resources. Look at verse 13, and I'm going to read through this quickly because it's more about what's happening than the details here. Verse 13, so he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. So he's preparing a gift for Esau. Well, what kind of gift? Is it a thing? No, it's a whole bunch of things. Look, verse 14, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves. 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. (laughs) Then he handed over to his servants every drove by itself and said to his servants, please go on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong, where are you going, and whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to you. Excuse me, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. This is a straight bribe. He's saying that line by line, Esau will approach and he'll see uh, camels. Well, what are these? Oh, they're a gift to you. And then he'll see, uh, you know, goats. Well, what are these? Oh, they're a gift to you. So staged out, he continues to get handed gifts as he's approaching. Oh, and Jacob's coming. Oh, and Jacob's coming. Oh, and Jacob's coming. But bribe after bribe after bribe. For he thought, going back in the text here, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. Perhaps he will accept me. So he's just hoping this will work. Verse 21, so the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed the night in the camp. So he sends all that out towards uh, Esau, and he stays put where he's at. All right, But Jacob was only in this position for one reason. Let's not forget that. Jacob was only actually in this position for one reason. And I didn't read it, but you can look back at it. He referenced it in his prayer. He prayed it back to God. But it's in Genesis 31, the previous chapter, verse 3. The Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and your kindred, and I will be with you. Verse 11 picks up with, then the angel of God said to me, Jacob speaking in a dream, Jacob I said, here am I, here I am. So angel of God, remember this is a, a name for who God is. We reference angel of the Lord. This is angel of God, same character. Verse 13, look what he says, this angel of God. He says, I am God. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise and go from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So he was physically there then and he in, in this vision, whatever that looks like, this vision, whether he imagined it or whether he saw it, something he saw or something he, he experienced supernaturally in a dream, either way, this happened. He's there because God told him to be there. All right? Now, look, it's easy to hate on Jacob for wavering in his faith a little bit here. All right? The struggle is real. The struggle is real. This is life and death. This is life and death. This is extreme vengeance. 
extreme vengeance. It's been building for years and years. Hatred and hatred. And he has no idea if this hatred has reached its peak, overboiled, where it's been years, decades of this hatred just building. And he has no idea what's happening except that God told him go home, which means running headlong straight into it. How often do we do the same thing? We pray and we say, God, please, you're going to have to handle this one. It's way too big for me. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. God, you have to deliver me, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. So in response to Jacob's prayer, maybe in light of his plan as well, we have the visit. <laughs> Look at this. So you got this struggle, this fear of harm and death. You have the prayer. God, remember your word. Save me. Then you have the plan, this beg. And bribe for his life, you know, using our own resources, the same thing we do. And then the visit. God's presence is surprising, though, and difficult. All right? God's presence here is surprising and difficult. Look at verse 22. The same night. So while the gifts are on their way, the same night, the bribe is on its way. The same night, he arose and he took his two wives, his two female uh, servants, and his 11 children. And he crossed the fort of the Jabbok, which is a river. And he took them and set them across the stream and everything else they had that he had. And Jacob was left alone. So basically he takes them across to one side and then he stays where he's at and he's alone on the other side of the river. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Jacob got jumped. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't give you any more detail than that. It doesn't say where he came from. It doesn't say if they talked first. I mean, Jacob got jumped right here. Note, for instance, that it doesn't say that he wrestled all night long. It doesn't say that. It was already night. So it just says this occurred until the break of day. So it could have become, it could have begun minutes before daybreak. It could have been all night. We don't know, but, but it, don't assume that it was all night. What we do know is that it, have, that it ended just as daybreak was coming. So, uh, Jacob had been a wrestler since birth though. You can go back and read this. He was pulling on his brother's heel, coming out. His name even reflects that he strives to get ahead. Some say it means cheater. Uh, It's in there. But the idea is that he strives to get ahead. They named him that because he's pulling his brother's heel. He he lived a life of wrestling to get ahead. That's kind of the idea. Look at verse 25, chapter 32. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched Touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Note, this is not that Jacob was stronger than him and the guy couldn't beat him. That's not the case. It's just that Jacob wouldn't tap out. That's what it means. Like he would not tap out. Jacob would not let go. Jacob would not surrender. It's just like in the womb here when he was wrestling, he wouldn't let go of his brother wrestling in his womb in the womb for who's going to be firstborn. And when Esau comes out, he's holding his foot, still trying to get ahead. He wouldn't let go. And Jacob is impacted physically from this moment. He is impacted physically. He is in extreme pain. Imagine your hip popping out of socket. I cannot even imagine that kind of pain. So it hurt real bad. The struggle is real. He is changed permanently. He has a limp. Verse 31 says that. We'll get there, but he has a limp. All right, this is excruciating pain. This really happened. This struggle with, with so far it's a man, but I'm going to tell you it's God. You'll see that in the text. This struggle with God has now produced 
a limp. It is a real thing that occurred, physical pain. Um, and still, look at verse 26. Then he said, uh, God speaking, the man, quote unquote, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Even with that hip popped out with a touch, he still won't let him go. Maybe Jacob's thinking that this is a man. Maybe he's thinking it's a prophet. I don't know. Maybe more. Either way, he believes this person's able to bless him somehow. And perhaps it hasn't hit him yet that this man put his hip out of socket with a touch. This man. Um, the day is breaking, it's saying here. It's not saying that this is a vampire. <laughs> that God's going to dissolve in the sunlight. That's not what it's saying. The intent here is that the person who is saying it is attempting to remain cloaked in darkness. Uh, concealed somehow. Likely he's attempting to protect Jacob by concealing himself. This entire struggle happens in night. And nobody, you know, who knows how black and dark that night was. But the idea, I think, is that Jacob's never seen this man's face very clearly. One reason he asks who he is. But with day coming, his face would have become visible. You know, I give you just one verse, verse uh, Exodus 33, verse 20. Uh, God said you, to Moses, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see, my, see me and live. Could have been the scenario here with Jacob. You ever face a time with God kind of where you expect an answer? You really expecting an answer from him? And what you get is just a frustrating battle with understanding what he's trying to do. You want a clear answer, but instead you get this wrestle with God. What is it that you're trying to do here? Because I'm just lost. I don't understand. And maybe you're wondering if you're actually talking to him or not. God, are you even listening to me? Am I? Are we even connecting? Are you paying attention? If you're listening to me, why can't I see you clearly? Why can't I hear you clearly? And it might even make you angry. Could it be he may be actually protecting you from something? Even by remaining hidden himself? Now I know we, we want to see him so revealed. Moses did too. And God protected him by hiding him in a rock. There's a lot of other stories there. Uh, imagery and things. But I'm just saying. There's always this sense of God hiding us from complete revelation of himself. In fact, one of the most powerful moments of that, if you read Exodus 19:20, in there where uh, the Israelites are at Sinai and God speaks, they hear him speak, they see the mountain on fire, and all these, they're terrified, terrified. They tell him to stop. Um, part of that's because of our sin, you know, our own sinfulness before a holy, perfect God. So anyway, the struggle here again, the fear and harm of death, the prayer, God, remember your words, save me. Then the plan, beg and bribe for your life. My, you know, with, let me use my own resources. But then you have this visit from God and his presence is surprising and it's difficult. And then you get the answer. And that's God changes his life, changes our life. And He keep, God keeps his word. So look at verse 27. He, the man here, or God in this case, said to him, Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, which again means one who struggles to get ahead, cheater, wrestler. That's what it kind of means. Well, Jacob had stolen the birthright, as I mentioned, from his human father by pretending to be somebody else. But here, he's going to have to own his identity. 
He can't claim to be Esau. He can't claim to be. He's got to be honest. Who are you? I am Jacob, the wrestler, the cheater, the one who struggles to get ahead. And he's going to be facing his brother in a few minutes in human terms. Uh, the one who should have inherited the earthly birthright that he stole. But God had another plan. It was very different. And now Jacob is reassured of that plan in this moment. Okay, But it involved real struggle with God. And more, look at verse 28, then he said, your name shall no longer, God said to him, the man he's wrestling with, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have, looked striven with God and with men and prevailed, not conquered here, endured, held on, all right, held on. Israel, the name, literally means he struggles with God. That's basically what it means, struggles with God. <clears throat> Excuse me. He'd already struggled with men. We already, you read the story of his life, I already mentioned it, but he'd already done that in order to get the family blessing from grappling with his uh, older brother coming out of the womb to lying to his father, uh, serving Laban. You can read that too, even through Laban's lies. So Jacob knows all about wrestling with men, but now he's wrestled with God as well. Jacob is known as this trickster or cheater, but perhaps a better understanding is wrestler. I think that's a Better picture, maybe, of what kind of person he was. He was somebody who would not let go, who just wrestled to get ahead. But now his name is changing. He's given a new identity, a new identity from God. Like with Abraham, his name was from Abram to Abraham. Isaac, God chose the name Isaac and told Abraham beforehand to call him that. And what it means now that he's changing it from Jacob to Israel is that the same promises that went to your fathers now are yours. Now they are with you. And to be fair, Jacob wrestled his whole life here for something that his brother threw away over a bowl of soup. So for as much as we give shame to Jacob for, quote, cheating, Jacob wrestled for something he wanted so badly. Whereas his brother, who had a right to it, was willing to throw it away over soup. Um, again, you can read the story. And maybe Jacob in this moment thinks he's wrestling with an angel even. He'd seen angels there before. Chapter 32, verse 1, you can look at it. But now it's definitely clear this is no man. And changing his name here to striving, striven <laughs> with God, with God. His entire identity has been changed. No angel can do that. Angels can't change your identity. Only God can do that. And this person says, because you've striven with God, because God's the one you were wrestling with. Verse 29, then Jacob, maybe it's hitting him all of a sudden. And Jacob says, wait, wait, wait a minute. Tell, please tell me your name. But look what he says. Why is it you ask my name? Translation, you know who I am. Don't ask. You know who I am. And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen, which Peni means face, and El is God, so face of God, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered, which means he knew he should have died for being in God's presence like that. So upon realizing this was not just a man, not even just an angel, but God himself, the same one that came to his grandfather Abraham, it's not this big smile on his face. It's not this bragging rights that he has. Man, I wrestled with God or whatever. It's terror. It's fear. It's this immense 
sense of grace, like I should be dead, I should be dead, but I'm alive. I should be dead, but I'm alive. He had feared Esau, but now he fears God. He had feared Esau, now he fears God. Hosea 12.3 has a little commentary on this, Hosea wrote. Verse 3 says, In the womb, Jacob took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he wrestled or strove with God. He wrestled or strove with the angel and prevailed. See, he's even using the word God and angel interchangeably here. The angel, not just an angel. He wept and he sought his favor. He met God at Bethel and there God spoke and it goes on. Uh, I love one commentary. One author wrote this. He says, we do not understand why God conceals himself when he could reveal himself. We do not understand why he must... Why we must grope in the darkness to apprend him, or why he leaps on us in the metaphorical darkness of our life, but he does. One might go through life without even suspecting his existence if he did not occasionally assault us in the darkness. Modern man says, I cannot see him, I cannot hold on to what I cannot see. But a person like Jacob says, I cannot see him, so I will not let go of him until I can. Dang, I love that. That's so good. I'm going to say it again. A modern man says, I cannot see him and I cannot hold on to what I can't see. But a person like Jacob says, I cannot see him, so I will not let go of him until I can. Ladies and gentlemen, that's called faith. Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. In Jacob's case, a blessing. A promise. It already been made to him. God's word. And then... Hebrews says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. What was not the conviction that he had of what was not seen is the person he was wrestling with was not just a man, was not just an angel. It was God. Verse 31, Genesis 32. Let's finish it real quick. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. The limp proves that this happened Physically, it's not just a dream, it's not just a vision, it's not poetic metaphor here of something that happened only spiritual. It literally occurred in a very physical way. God was among, God was there. You know what I'm saying? And the sunrise here, it symbolizes the night of Jacob's exile. He's been run out of his home for 20 plus years. The night of that exile is over. He is now returning to his family. The sun is coming up. And that's pictured again uh, in the exile of Israel, his children, years later when Moses would bring them back. Um, same kind of thing, their exile's over. And ultimately, it's a picture of our salvation, too. That we are in an exile of darkness due to sin. All of us are. But when we wrestle with Christ, when we wrestle with the Lord, are, who are you? Are you who you say you are? I'm not letting go of you. I will not let go of you until you save me. Bless me. You know, that's the idea. The blessing of salvation comes because he jumps us. He comes after us. And when that happens and we cling to him, he saves us. And yes, there are scars from that experience. I promise you. Yes, there is a limp. You're not the same. But it shows that that was a reality. It happened. It was not something you dreamed and maybe you'll wake up from or, or get smart about. It happened. It's not some ghostly feeling. It happened. Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. The grave is empty. And our hope 
is real as well. Verse 32, last little piece here. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the tendon of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the thigh, on the tendon of the thigh. So I'm not going to go into all that, but most people isolate this story and stop it right there. But it doesn't begin there in this wrestle in this moment, nor does it end there. Look how it ends. Let's go into 33, just a couple of verses here, three or four verses. Verse one. And so there, that's why I say it's not over immediately after. Sun comes up, it's rising, he starts to limp, and immediately after that, Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So immediately after that, as he starts to walk, time has passed, and Esau is upon him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. So he puts his most precious in the far back. Um, this is his immediate family. And he himself went on before them. So he goes forward out front, but he puts his family in the back and he puts the Rachel and Joseph in the far, far back. And then he bows himself to the ground seven times as he's coming up to his brother. Verse four, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Now I could read on, but there's no point. You get the picture. You get the picture. I don't even have to explain it. You get the picture. Jacob teaches us here to hold on to God, okay? To refuse to let go, especially when life is a real struggle. And because he wrestled with the Lord and held on to the Lord, in this case, his enemy embraced him. Instead of wrestling his enemy, he wrestles with the Lord he walks away changed from the experience with the Lord and his enemy embraces him. You know, look, God doesn't make it easy all the time, okay, guys? When the struggle seems overwhelming, when it gets real, we tend to turn to our own resources, just like Jacob did. We tend to do that, and we end up letting go of God a little bit. But what's crazy is we may find out that it's actually him that we're struggling with most, that he's the one we are really struggling with. And God wants us to wrestle. He wants us to trust his word and not let go. But we got to learn to do that. That's a struggle. That's a struggle. And it leaves scars. It brings pain. But the blessing that comes with it is immeasurable. And if you've been through this, you know what I'm talking about. The reminder of his word. Oh, man, yes, you are true to your word. The reminder of his promises, yes, you are true to your promises. The new identity that comes from holding on to him is in there, man. That's the beauty of what comes from that struggle with him. So maybe, listen, maybe you've always done things on your own. Maybe you, you've you never given your life to Christ. Maybe you've always done things on your own. Maybe you've run into something you can't handle. Uh, maybe that's occurred. Before that struggle becomes too real, I'm telling you right now, you need to wrestle with the one that changes everything. His word promises that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's in there. It's a promise. And I'm telling you, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that struggle? Is that tough? Don't let go of it. Fight with it. Wrestle with it. Get in there. Read it. Look at it. Whoever calls, Romans chapter 10, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's in there. Romans 10. 
Do it. Say it. Surrender. Don't let go, but surrender. Trust him. Let me pray. Lord, I love you. Thank you so much for your word. As always, it's so incredible. I pray today, Lord, that you're glorified through it um, and that your word would be the tool that makes disciples who make disciples for your glory. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.